Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. My name is Alfred Pennyworth, and I have a story to tell. Batman had trained many protégés over the years, and one of them was the Riley and Kimmy Show. The Riley and Kimmy Show. And she has her cape on, and she's ready to face Monday. That's right. Right next to me is my crime fighter. Kimmy! I got one name, Janet. Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. Hi. Hi, I am your host, Patrick Riley. Quite a good scene, isn't it? One man crazy, three very sane spectators. Yes, they are sane all around me. That's the only way to have it. You, ha- you can only be one nut in the room. That's the way it really works best, right, Kimmy? Mm. Yeah, yeah. The one you just can't. You only have one crazy. Uh-huh. You know, and that's that's me uh, right next to me to my left is Kimmy and behind me two fur kids that are I think they're napping. Not not quite sure. Or they're getting ready to. Yeah, it, it's something like that. That's what's going on. Welcome to a Monday. We're recording this way before the hour of sunrise. Kimmy is with us. Bright eyed, bushy tailed. Looks like you're ready to go face Monday. Ready to go. You're not going to take names, right? Just initials because you're not going to mm-hmm. slow down to take names. Uh, yeah. <laughs> welcome welcome to the Riley and Kimmy Show. If this is your very first time here, thank you for checking us out. We have a daily, you heard right, brand new daily episode offering pop culture escapism. A nerd variety talk show. You found it here, and I guarantee you stick with us for this episode, and we will prove variety is a key component of the Riley and Kimmy Show, right? That's right. I mean, we're talking Variety. Often imitated but never duplicated, the Riley and Kimmy Show. If you like what you hear, please tell your friends about us. Share our show. Tell them about our Facebook page and other social media. Friend, follow, and like us. You can find all those links. And oh, 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 I have to point out all those all those episodes, all of them archived, available, including celebrity interviews and video interviews and nerd news, all available right on our website and what is our web address, Kimmy? RileyandKimmy.com. We are just days away, Kimmy. Coming up this uh, this Saturday, March 18th, the Riley and Kimmy show will be at the Pause on the Catwalk in Melbourne, Florida. Yes, it's a dog fashion show. Yeah, I'm excited. It's getting closer. It's getting really close. This is really cool, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Hey, yeah, that's happening. That's happening this Saturday, Melbourne Auditorium. You can find out more by going to the Brevard Humane Society's website, brevardhumanesociety.org. They have more information available right there. The event does start at 10 o'clock. Vendors will be on hand with things for dogs, and there will be some dogs and animals available for adoption. Kimmy? Mm -hmm. We will have our unnamed mascot there, and a superhero will be right next to us, and that's Tug, the Bull Terrier puppy. He's possum isn't that cool tug's gonna be there too yeah tug's gonna be there his dad and mom that's blake ovard and kim joy ovard will be there they are well kim is the writer and blake is the artist of tug the tug comic book they will be there hear about their story matter of fact i tell you what you can check out our website the video section we have a video interview with blake 
and tug as well. You can check that out, find out more. We'd love you to, uh, oh, just to find out about tug. And if you know anybody who loves dogs and you're in the Florida area, central Florida area, this is over in the Space Coast, please tell them about this event. That is on March 18th. And meet Tug, the superhero dog. He is a good friend to the Riley and Kimmy show. His parents are as well. We woof Tug, right, Kimmy? That's right. So please, please come by and see Tug if you can. I think tickets might still be available. You can find out more on an interview that we did just recently. That is podcast number 1,177. We chatted with the executive director of the Brevard Humane Society. That's Teresa Clifton. You can find out more about this pause on the catwalk. That's podcast 1,177. Look at that one. That one looks like a dog. Oh, it is a dog. What? Oh, we're not allowed to have dogs in my apartment. Hey, I like dogs. Yes, I hope you like dogs. We like dogs. And who knows? Maybe you will find a new fur friend, and maybe we will too, right, Kimmy? Hmm. That's possible, yeah. right? That's right. That's all happening next Saturday in Melbourne, Florida. Kimmy, I have a question for you on this Monday, March 13th. I hope um, 13 is a lucky day for you. I hope it, you know, I hope it doesn't... It, I hope so. Yeah, you know, I hope it's not like, you know, Friday the 13th, but are you are you one of these, Kimmy, any... Anytime it's the day 13. No. Yeah. Also, it has to be Friday the 13th where you start getting weird. No. Oh, but you're okay on Friday the 13th. Yeah. Okay. Well, my question for you, since you feel lucky, are you willing and able and want to play nerd and pop culture geek trivia on this Monday, March 13th? Absolutely. It's a Monday, March 13th. The timeline has been adjusted. If you've never heard us do this before, we have scrambled up the timeline that way so my very smart person next to me, my very smart partner, my very smart co-host can't just guess it really easy if she doesn't know. That's right. She is Spock. She is Data. That's, that's, and she's like a combination of both of them. So we have jumbled it up. You can shout out those answers to her. We believe in time travel answers. So feel free to yell at whatever listening device you're listening to the Riley and Kimmy show on because we are mobile, we are global. You can take us anywhere on planet Earth. So shout at that smartphone, that tablet, that desktop, that laptop, whatever you are listening to us on. Now, it might be a little difficult if you're in a library listening. You could be. That's possible, right, Kimmy? Right? That, that's possible. Yeah. I just don't know how that librarian will be if you just yell out an answer. Yeah. Eh, be a little careful on that one, okay? Or, and public transit. If you're if you're if you're listening with those earbuds right now, yeah, you might want to just be a little bit careful, right? Just 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 a tad. Here we go with the very first question for Monday, March thirteenth, on the Riley and Kimmy show. Kimmy, moving over in the almanac to an area which I know you really love, general history. You just love general history, don't you? Oh yeah. All right, Kimmy. I wonder if you ever had one of these. After many years of publication, the Encyclopedia Britannica announces it would discontinue its print edition. What year did this happen? Was that 1999, 2006, 2012, or 2015? Uh, 2012. That's exactly right. Did somebody shout that one out to you, or did you just I know that? Know. Oh, it just popped in my head, maybe. Well, bonus points then here, Kimmy. We weren't even going to ask this one, but since you're so smart, since you are Sp Spock and Data combined here, 
How many years did they publish the Encyclopedia Britannica within 50 years? Um, 100 years. 244 years they published it. Now, out of those 244 years, did you ever possess, given to you, purchased, hand-me-down, any Encyclopedia Britannicas? Yes, we had encyclopedias. So you did have those. Mm-hmm. Did you actually read those? Did you, mm-hmm. unless, well, was it, well, wait a minute, was it by choice or was it like a school assignment? Did no. you, you well, actually read I, them to read? Yeah. Okay, so, well, I guess you are smart. Kimmy's real smart. Moving over to something else happening on this date in history. Kimmy, do you know what Uncle Sam is? Mm-hmm. You know the character, correct? Mm-hmm. Well, everything has a beginning. And Uncle Sam had his on this date in history. It was on this date, a New York newspaper published the first Uncle Sam cartoon. Tell me the year. Was it 1776, 1852, 1911, or 1932? 1932. It was 1852 Uncle Sam came to be. Very first uh, cartoon in a New York newspaper. Behave, or I might cosplay as Uncle Sam. Mm. Thinking about it. Actually, I am. No one event. I might do that. Now. Just might do that. Moving over to something else happening on this date in history. Sports and entertainment combined. Wacky entertainment, actually. Hollywood wackiness. It was on this date, Kimmy, that Fox Television aired Celebrity Boxing. Do you remember that? Celebrity no. Boxing. Well, Fox aired Celebrity Boxing on this date. Question will be twofold here. First is, who won between these matches? Paula Jones and Tanya Harding. Who won? Tanya Harding? That's correct. Who won between Barry Williams and Danny Bonaducci? Danny Bonaducci? <laughs> That's right. And for those who don't know, Danny was from what TV show? The Partridge Family. And Barry? The Brady Bunch. Okay, and the next one, Vanilla Ice and Todd Bridges. Who won? Vanilla Ice. Todd Bridges won. And Todd Bridges famous for what TV show? Different Strokes. That's correct. Now, the question, what year did this this fun fest of boxing happen? Was it 1999, 2002, 2007, or 2011? 2002. Exactly right. Now, come on. You said you didn't watch it, but how did you know that date? Somebody shouting these out to you? Is this actually working? It was on this date in 1639. Harvard University was named. It was named for clergyman John Harvard. It was on this date 1781. Sir William Herschel discovered the planet Uranus. Kimmy. Okay. It was. Do you call it Uranus or the other name? Uh, Okay. You probably called it the other name for a while. Maybe. Probably. Okay. It was on this date, 1868, the United States Senate began the impeachment of President Andrew Johnson. It was on this date, 1877, Chester Greenwood patented something you used quite often, but you threw away when you moved to Florida. That is the earmuff. Mm. You said goodbye. But think about that. It took till 1877 for somebody to patent the earmuff. Hmm. Okay. Go back in time. You can go to 1876 and just top it. I'm going to patent this thing called an earmuff. Yeah. 1901, something happened. We just recently talked about this individual on a a previous episode of the Riley and Kimmy Show. Andrew Carnegie, that's right, Carnegie, some call it Carnegie, but Carnegie, announced that he was retiring from business and then he would spend the rest of his days giving away his fortune 
In 1901 dollars, it is estimated he was worth $300 million. Mm. That's why in a lot of small towns across America, especially in the Midwest, you will see libraries with his name. Okay. Something really cool. They have like this castle look to them yeah. and stuff. Especially where I grew up in that area. You've seen, I took you to some of those, remember? Mm-hmm. It was on this day, Kimmy. A comic strip came to be. It appeared for the first time in newspapers across the country on this date in history. Two-part question. Tell us the name of the comic strip because it would eventually become a hit television show. Here is your audio clue. Competitive there. Tell us the name of the comic strip TV show, Kimmy. Dennis. Dennis the Menace. That is correct. Now, we'll ask about the comic strip. What year did the comic strip come to be? When was it first published? Was it 1931, 1941, 1951, or 1961? 1931. 1951. And shortly, within that decade, Dennis the Menace would come on the air. Hmm. Dennis okay. the Menace came to be actually because... C, uh, CBS was upset that they gave up Leave It to Beaver to ABC, and they were looking for something. They were desperate for something to fill that that block, and they grabbed, they tapped Dennis the Menace. Okay. Did you ever watch Dennis the Menace in uh, syndication? Uh, occasionally. I take it you didn't no. like Dennis the Menace. Uh, no, not really. Oh, okay. Can you tell me who starred as Dennis the Menace? You cannot tell me the name oh, of the... Oh, oh. oh you come uh, on. You should. Jay, Jay North. That's correct. Jay North is or was, and he played Dennis the Menace on the TV series. Moving over to something else happening on this date in history, Music World. I think you'll know this one, even though it's pre-Beatles. That's where Kimmy's uh, strength is anything. Well, actually, post-Beatles is where and is Kimmy's uh, strength. British Invasion time period on as Kimmy's strength. But I think you'll know this recording artist. He recorded this song, which would become a hit. The year is 1961. Identify the recording artist. I'm a traveling man. Made a lot of stops. All over the world. And in every port, I own a heart. At least one lovely girl. Tell me who that is. Ricky Nelson. That's correct. Ricky Nelson, Traveling Man, 1961. It was on this date. Give me 1965. Another music question for you. Eric Clapton leaves a certain rock group, pop group. They would become a pop group. That's why he actually left them. Can you tell me the name of the pop group he left? Cream? No. It's not Cream. It's somebody else. Faces? No, here is your audio clue. This is their big hit. This was their breakthrough. This is the one that uh, their first top ten hit for the United States and the UK. Here's the hit. Give 
with you, Thomas Price. Can you tell me the name of the group, Kimmy? The Animals? No, it's the Yardbirds. Yardbirds. And Clapton disliked that song, even though he's on the track. He does the guitar work. He disliked that song so much that they he didn't want him to record it. They did, and he thought they were going too commercial. They were getting away from an, a blues kind of sound. He didn't like that, so he left them. Mm. That caused him to walk. It was on this date, 1969, the Apollo 9 astronauts returned to Earth after the conclusion of a mission that included a successful testing of the lunar module. It was on this date in 1976, Kimmy, the Jackson 5 moved from Motown. They left Motown Records to Epic Records is where they ended up, but they changed their name. What did they become? The Jackson 5 were no more in 1976. The Jacksons? That's right. They changed the name to The Jacksons. It was on this date in 1984. MTV premiered the weekly Top 20 Video Countdown show. Did you ever watch that? Or was that one, I Gotta Watch That? Did you Did you watch the video countdown? I gotta, well, I don't remember thinking that. But well, you, so you weren't sure. Going, I mean, I know you were all of, what, three years of age at that time period. So, you know, I didn't know maybe that was your babysitter or something. Mm. I didn't know. It was on this day, 1987, Kimmy. This individual had this song. Uh, it was a... This one's kind of an interesting thing from the world of music because it was the first commercially released cassette single in the United States. Do you remember those? They tried to market those. The cassette. No. Yeah, they tried. They tried to market the cassette single. Hmm. This was the first successful one commercially. Identify the recording artist. Give me the year is 1987. <laughs> Can you identify that recording artist? Brian Adams. That's right, 1987, Heat of the Night, and yes, on a cassette single. Hmm. Yeah. wonder if those have any collectability. Hmm. I bet, you know, some of that, some of the tape is starting to increase. Original tapes. Like, okay. you know, entire albums and stuff. I don't know about the cassette singles. It was on this date, 1987, this individual and his band got a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. I'm going to give you the name of the band. You tell me who he is, the Silver Bullet Band. Bob Seger. That's right, Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet Band. 1987, Celebrity Notable Birthdays. That's where we're moving to right now. An American pop singer, pianist, composer, and record producer, Kimmy. Since his music career began in 1957, he has sold millions of records as an artist and has written or co-written over 500 songs for himself and others. Identify who this birthday person is. Here's your audio clue. Breaking up is hard to do. Don't take your love away from me. Don't you leave my heart in misery. If you go, then I'll be blue. Cause breaking up is hard to do. Who is that? Neil Sadaka. That's correct. Was that ever a number one song or not? Did it make it to number one? Yes. It was number one for two weeks in 1962. How old is Neil Sadaka within five years, Kimmy? 88. 88. That's your guess, right? Uh-huh. Okay. You missed it by 10. No, he's not 98. He is 78, Kimmy. Oh. Moving over to an actor. I won't ask any questions about this actor, just just his age. William H. Macy, you know who that is, correct? Mm -hmm. How old is William H. Macy today within five? 
68. He is 67. Very good. And moving over to this individual, Dana Delaney. Do you know who that actress is? She was part of this TV show, which ran on ABC from 1988 to 1991. Let's see if this is a help. Home was 10,000 miles away. Anybody care for a swim? The Vietnam War was right next door. Men everywhere. Fifty thousand American women volunteered to serve. This is their story. Tuesday, a special two-hour preview of of what TV show, Kimmy? Can you tell me the name of the TV show? I have no clue. China Beach, which aired on ABC from 1988 to 1991. She was a star. Dana Delaney, she is 61 today. Moving over to another section of trivia for today. I see dead people. Notable deaths on this date in history. 1901, we saw the passing of, well, we didn't actually. Well, maybe somebody listening to the show did. We do have some really old old listeners you know maybe they did it was on this date in history benjamin harrison died at the age of 67 can you tell me why he is on the list of notables who was benjamin harrison to the world president you are correct kimmy 23rd president of the united states from 1889 to 1893 other notable thing here he was the grandson of the ninth president of the united states william henry harrison creating the only grandfather-grandson duo to hold the office of president in the United States. This individual passed away in 1906, Susan B. Anthony. She died at the age of 86. And moving over to somebody else who passed away on this date in history, in the world of cartooning, Lee Falk passed away, died at the age of 87, best known as the creator of the popular comic strips The Phantom, he created that in the 30s. And Mandrake, the magician in 1934, uh, at the height of their popularity, these strips attracted over 100 million readers every day. Falk also wrote short stories and contributed to the series of pulp novels about the Phantom. I love the Phantom. You're not really aware of the Phantom. Mm -mm. But you did see the Phantom movie back in the 90s, remember? I saw a few minutes of it. Okay, who played the Phantom? The guy from the Titanic. Tell me who it was. Right. Yeah, who is he? Yeah, him. Yeah, that guy. Can you tell me? Yep. He he got Billy the Zane. Yeah, Billy Zane got the role in Titanic actually because of playing the Phantom. It was on this date, 2006, Maureen Stapleton passed away. She died at the age of 80, American actress in film, theater, and television. She was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress for Lonely Hearts in 1958, Airport in 1970, Interiors in 1978, and she eventually won for the movie Reds in 1981. Kimmy, I think you did a fantastic job being a Monday. I think you did a great, a great job with trivia. Thank you for being a willing participant. Sure. Thank you. And thank you to all those who shouted out to Kimmy and said, hey, I, I yeah. know the answer. Thank you for that. Thank you. And if you enjoy what you hear here, be sure to follow the Riley and Kimmy show on our Facebook page and other social media. All links available right now on our website at RileyandKimmy.com. I think we'll honor a couple of things from trivia just proving the point that we are variety-based. Let's go back in time to the golden age of radio. Radio was new. Radio, someone still loves you. And that's O'Reilly and Kimmy show. Anytime we have the opportunity to go back in time and focus on the world of the golden age of radio, we take that opportunity, hopefully introducing people to a rich world 
that is completely forgotten, unfortunately. Mm. But there are hobbyists who keep it alive. They keep OTR. That's that's something else it's called, alive, old-time radio. We have two examples of the golden age of radio, proving that we offer variety here with the Riley and Kimmy Show. First one is a show called Mr. President, and they do the biography of Benjamin Harrison. It's a fantastic episode starring Edward Arnold. This was done in 1947, followed uninterrupted with Susan B. Anthony, done originally in 1940. Going back in time, here's Benjamin Harrison starring Edward Arnold on The Riley and Kimmy Show. Mr. President at home in the White House, the elected leader of our country, our fellow citizen and neighbor. These are little-known stories of the men who've lived in the White House. Dramatic, exciting events in their lives that you and I so rarely hear. The true human stories of Mr. President. Now, Edward Arnold has Mr. President. Let's visit him in the White House. It's evening and only one window shows a light, a study on the ground floor. We find ourselves in the corridor outside his office. I'm the President's secretary. Won't you go in, please? Some visitors for you, Mr. President. Hello. You sit down, won't you? You know what often happens in the White House, as it does everywhere else, that just when things are quiet, that's the moment to look out for trouble. The almost forgotten but true story I'm going to tell you happened to one of our presidents. And it's about an incident that involved this country in one of its most dangerous situations. Later on, I'll tell you which president I was when this story happened. But meanwhile, see if you can guess. One day, my secretary, Miss Sarah, and I were finishing a hurried but excellent lunch. It was the first White House meal prepared by a French cook Miss Sarah had insisted upon employing. Wonderful, Miss Zara. Oh, I'm very glad, Mr. President. That was the finest plate of ham and eggs I've had in months. Jambon et des oeufs au plat de Rochambeau. I beg your pardon? Jambon et des oeufs au plat de Rochambeau. <laughs> it's what the new cook calls ham and eggs. <laughs> new French cook, huh? Well, whatever she calls anything, she's wonderful. Wouldn't you like to tell her so yourself? She said if you were pleased with the first meal she cooked, might she have the honor of meeting you? Oh, by all means. She's been waiting in the pantry. Madame Videl. Oui, Monsieur. Come in, please. The president liked your ham and your jambon et des oeufs au plat de Rochambeau very much. I did. I did indeed, Mrs. Videl. Oh, I am so happy, Monsieur le President. Tonight, I will cook for you a dish of my native province. Good. What it'll be? Escargot avec des légumes à la côte d'Azur. Escargot? Snails, Monsieur le President. Snails? Oh, no, Mrs. Videl. Do you know how to make broiled ham and apple fritters a la... Well, uh, the way we make them in Ohio. Ah, mes apple fritters. Oh, monsieur le président. Mais non. I am a French woman. I am a French cook. What have I to do with Ohio? I guess you're right, Mrs. Vidal. Uh, you go right on being a French woman and a French cook. Only, no snails. Très bien, monsieur le président. <laughs> no snails. <laughs> you know, Miss Sarah, it's wonderful what good food can do for a human being. <laughs> 
But that night, while everything was so calm and pleasant in the White House, something quite different was about to happen in the city of New Orleans. It was dark. A drizzling rain was falling, and on a corner stood a boy waiting. Then he saw a man walking rapidly toward him, and he began to whistle. so treacherously ambushed was Chief of Police Hennessy of New Orleans. In a few minutes, he was lying on a sofa in the nearby house of a friend. Listen. Yes? The boy that whistled, he was their lookout, and two men fired the shots. I saw them as a fail. Do you know who they were, Hennessy? Yes. They... they... Hennessy? Hennessy? Police Hennessy died. But expert detective work by other officials led to the arrest of the murderers and their accomplices. Eight men, all told. They were members of a powerful secret criminal society known originally in Italy as the Mafia, or Black Hand. They had long terrorized New Orleans. Soon they were brought to trial. stand charged with murder and with belonging to the secret criminal society of the mafia. This jury finds him not guilty. Not guilty? Not guilty? That jury was intimidated by the mafia like this whole city. If the courts won't punish him, then the citizens in Orleans will. Get him, get him. of letters and reports for you. Oh, thanks, Miss Sarah. Well, did you have a good breakfast, Mr. President? Mm, as usual. Mm-hmm. There's letters from the vice president. Uh, we'll answer it this afternoon. Oh, speaking of breakfast, I've only got one complaint about Mrs. Vidal's cooking. Yes? Uh, she's been here over a month, and she still hasn't made me any ham and apple fritters. <laughs> I'm afraid she never will. She's been acting a little uh, rebellious lately. Oh. Why? Well, every time you ask her for your favorite dish, she feels you don't like her French cooking. Well, the truth is, I am a little tired of the rich food she prepares. I want broiled ham for variety. My favorite dish. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. Mm, mm. Oh, good heavens. What is it? It's a report from the federal attorney in New Orleans. Last night there, were, there was a lynching riot. A mob broke into the jail and killed eight men who just stood trial for murder. The newspaper said they'd been acquitted. Mm, that's what started the riot, Miss Sarah. Oh, the people there still thought they were guilty, I suppose. Regardless of that, lynching is horrible. It's brutal and lawless. And probably these lynchers will go free. Isn't there anything you can do, Mr. President? Mm, I regret that such things happen in this country. I mean, is there nothing you can do directly? That's purely a matter for the state of Louisiana, Miss Sarah. In a case like this, the President of the United States is helpless. (laughs) 
Secretary of State. Oh, come in, Mr. Secretary. Mr. President, you know all about the lynching of those eight men in your audience. Oh, of course, and I think it's a disgrace. It's worse than that, sir. As a result of it, the United States may find itself at war. War? What are you talking about? The Italian government demands that we punish the mob who carried out the lynching and pay a heavy indemnity to the dead men's families. They demand? The Italian government? On what grounds? Well, they claim that these men were Italian citizens. Were they? Or were they American citizens? That point's not clear at all, sir. But the Italian government assumes they were Italians, and that's why they take such a strong tone with us. But they must know our federal government has no police authority inside a state. We can't move against the lynch mob. Of course. And that's what we'll have to say in our reply. Only I doubt if the Italian government will accept it. Hmm. And if they don't? The Italian Navy is very strong, Mr. President. Oh, I see what you mean. We're not in a strong diplomatic position, are we? We're in a very weak one, and to, to put it bluntly, Mr. President, if it turns out that those men were actually Italian citizens, well, you can see how a serious international incident can develop. Wars have started over far less than the lives of eight men. Uh, Mr. Secretary, before we can answer the Italian government, we've got to have some more information. I'll send for the governor of Louisiana, and then we can talk to the Italian ambassador. I'll notify you as soon as the governor arrives. Now, whatever happens, Mr. Secretary, we're not going to permit any foreign government to deal with us this way. Mr. President, I had your message. I came as soon as I could reach the Italian ambassador. Did you bring him with you? He's waiting in the blue room now, sir. Good. The governor of Louisiana is in the West Study. Mr. Secretary, it'll take me only a moment or so to talk to the governor and get uh, an insurance of action from him. Action? Punishment of the lynch mob? Exactly. I suggest you join the ambassador, and I'll be there in a few minutes. I'll be waiting anxiously, sir. Now, let's hope this is the answer to our problem. Oh, Mr. Governor, I appreciate your making this special trip to Washington. I know. It's an urgent matter, sir. Uh, please sit down, won't you? I'll yeah. come right to the point. It's uh, about the lynchings, isn't it? Yes, uh, we're in serious trouble with the Italian government over them. In fact, the Italian ambassador is waiting for our official explanation. Now, who were those men, and why were they murdered? The jury said they were innocent. The people in New Orleans believed they were guilty, and they acted accordingly. As I understand it, they were charged with the murder of Chief of Police Hennessy and with other murders as well. Yeah, that's true, but a great deal lay behind the charges. For a long time, Hennessy had been trying to smash the mafia in New Orleans. They had the city terrorized. That's why the people believed they intimidated the jury. And they were lynched because the people of Louisiana refused to tolerate a foreign secret criminal society any longer. Uh, you're satisfied they belong to the mafia? Well, not only those men, but dozens more who haven't been caught. They're the worst kind of criminals, Mr. Preston. They fled to this country when Italy herself systematically attacked the mafia. Do you know if they were still uh, Italian citizens, or had they taken out American citizenship papers? Well, uh, as far as we know, sir, few of them ever bothered to become American citizens. You know, we have a difficult situation, Governor. Even if those men were the worst kind of criminals, that doesn't condone lynching. Oh, no, no. Well, of course not, Mr. President. In Louisiana, we regret the tragedy as much as anyone. Governor, I have no authority to compel you or the state of Louisiana to act in this matter. But I'm going to ask your help. Yes, sir. The Secretary of State and I have to settle this question with the Italian government. If we don't handle it just right, it may lead to war. 
War? Boy, I, I didn't realize, Mr. President. Now, it'll help us tremendously if we know that you're going to catch and punish the members of the lynch mob. Well, we can try, sir. In fact, we're already trying. Will you personally push the investigation? Well, of course I will, Mr. President. That's what I had hoped you'd do. Now, uh, well, will you stay overnight? Well, uh, thank you, Mr. President, but I think I'd better start right back from New Orleans. I suppose that is best. Thank you again for coming, Governor. And now I can talk to the Italian ambassador. Uh, hmm? Goodbye, sir. I'll, goodbye. I'll report to you very soon. Good. Uh, gentlemen, I, I'm sorry to have kept you waiting. How do you do, Mr. Ambassador? I am honored, Mr. President. Mr. Ambassador, I would like to speak quite frankly. Excellente, Senor President. We are very disturbed at the tone of the protest your government made to us. Eight men were murdered, Mr. President. That is good reason for disturbance. May I ask, what is your reply? The answer of the government of the United States to your government, sir, makes several points. First of all, you must understand something about the structure of our government. I have already American history with interest, Mr. President. Uh, the ambassador prides himself on his knowledge of America, Mr. President. Uh-huh. Uh, Mr. Ambassador, our nation consists of states which enjoy certain powers and the federal government which enjoys certain other powers. The one cannot interfere with the other. I am aware of all of these things, Mr. President. I don't think so, Mr. Ambassador. Or you'd realize that the President of the United States, for one thing, cannot punish murderers. You mean they are to go free? I mean that it's up to the state of Louisiana to catch the men who formed that lynch mob and punish them. The state of Louisiana, sir? You expect us to deal with one of your states. Mr. Ambassador, I believe the president means this, that uh, we need a little time to see that the state of Louisiana takes action. Action? One of your courts said those men were innocent, whereupon they were murdered. My government protests vigorously the persecution and murder of innocent men. Now, just a minute, Mr. Ambassador. We have good reason to believe those men belong to the mafia, a secret society professional criminals that came here from Italy in the first place. Your government knows all about the mafia. Why did you let them leave? Why were you content to drive them out of your country to become a menace to other countries? Well, I, uh, I, I cannot argue that point, Mr. President. Of course not. I have made the protest of my government. What is your reply? You can sum it up this way. The United States government deplores lynching. It will do everything it can to see that the innocent do not suffer and that the guilty are punished. But it will not accept high-handed dictation from another nation as to its conduct. That is very strong language, Mr. President. Do you wish me to report this conversation to my government? In your words? Yes, I most certainly do, sir. Oh, of course, Miss Sarah. What is it? Madame Videl. Oh, she decided to make my broiled ham and apple fritters at last? Well, I finally ordered her to, but she flatly refuses and wants to speak to you. I'm sorry, Mr. President. Oh, it's all right. Let her come in. Oh, thank you. Come in, Madame Videl, please. Merci bien, mademoiselle. Monsieur the President, there is one thing I do not understand. Only one thing, Mrs. Videl? You're very lucky. I have cooked for you jambon de serve à la Rochambeau, escargot avec des légumes à la côte sur. I have made thousand and one wonderful dishes, and you want ham and apple fritters. It is too much, Monsieur le Président. Well, I don't see why, Mrs. Vidal. Apple fritters are easy to make. What are apple fritters? 
food is not only for the stomach, it is also for the soul. What can apple fritters do for the soul? Well, in Ohio, Mrs. Vidal, they can do a great deal. Now, this evening, if you like, I'll come down to the kitchen and show her how to make <gasps> apple fritters. Show me. Mon Dieu, Monsieur le Président. I am insulted. I am very, very insulted. For 20 years in Paris, I cooked for Monsieur le Duc de Choisel, for Madame la Comtesse de Noyer de Chambrin, in the Café de Trochart, and in Maxime. No one can show me how to cook. <laughs> I'm afraid I hurt her feelings, Miss Sarah. <laughs> but I thought you liked the way she cooks. Miss Sarah, I have an Ohio stomach. <laughs> and an Ohio stomach has certain ideas of its own. Now, I've got enough of French cooking. Do you suppose we could find her another job? <laughs> Well, only yesterday, the French embassy called and wanted to take her away from us. I said no. Well, let's change our minds, Miss Sarah. Uh, give, us, uh, give Mrs. Vidal two weeks' wages, a wonderful letter of recommendation, and the address of the French embassy. Then maybe I can get some apple fritters. Huh? Mr. President, a letter from the governor of Louisiana. Oh, let me see it. Hmm? Dear Mr. President, I have conferred with the police authorities of New Orleans about apprehending members of the lynch mob. Though deploring mob violence as deeply as we do, and though deeply aware of the danger of hostilities with Italy, they consider themselves helpless. Many thousands of people were involved in the riots, and no one will admit guilt especially as so many people feel that the mafia society here must be smashed one way or another. As it is impossible to arrest and question half the population of the city, I must confess that my mission has failed. With sincere regrets and so forth. Now we are in trouble, Miss Sarah. That was our best hope and it's gone. <laughs> I've received another note from the Italian government. And what do they say, Mr. Secretary? It's one of the most insulting diplomatic messages I've ever seen, sir. They reject our explanation, our request for time to investigate. They make certain hostile criticisms of our form of government that we're a group of lawless states masquerading as a nation. I, I, I've brought the note for you to read, sir. Well, they're making so much of this incident, Mr. Secretary. I don't fully understand it. It's very serious, sir. I know, I know, but it doesn't call for international insults, especially ones that may lead to war. Well, my theory, sir, is that Italy is oversensitive, hot-headed. They may not realize how close to war they're carrying us and themselves. What's the next step, Mr. Secretary? They've already taken it. They have? What? They've called their ambassador home. He's been withdrawn. They've broken off diplomatic relations. Exactly, Mr. President. Then we haven't any choice, have we? Why? I don't quite follow you, sir. Well, we've got to recall our ambassador from Rome. Well, I thought of that, sir, of course, but it's such an extreme step to take. Still, we've got to take it. We'll be severely criticized. Right here at home, sir. They, they'll claim it means war. I know, but that's a complication we'll have to meet as best we can. Very well, sir. I will dispatch a recall order to our ambassador at once. And uh, I'll keep you informed. Thank you. Uh, come in, Miss Sarah. I'm just leaving. Thank you, Mr. Secretary. Oh, what is it, Miss Sarah? You look worried. Mr. President, I, I'm terribly sorry. Well, what is it, Miss Sarah? Come out with it. Well, it seems so unimportant, but Madame Videl oh. refuses to be discharged with two weeks' wages. She's going to sue the White House. <laughs> <laughs> 
Mr. President, here are the evening papers. Well, I can imagine what they're like. I've picked out the most important editorial. Now, what do they say? That we're not prepared for war and that the White House is seriously at fault for letting this crisis come about. Hmm. Have any of them any idea how to solve the crisis? Here are several messages from government officials, all deeply alarmed. Well, I'll look them over later. Good night, Miss Sarah. Come in. Oh, good morning, Miss Sarah. Good morning, Mr. President. The Secretary of State's on his way upstairs. I've ordered your breakfast sent up here to your room. What about his breakfast? He said he didn't feel like eating anything. I'm surprised to find you so cheerful, Mr. Mm, President. Me? Why not? It's a beautiful morning, and things look different in the sunlight. Oh, they don't to you, huh? I'm afraid I have an international incident of my own. Oh, uh, come in, Mr. (laughs) Secretary. Thank you, Miss Sarah. Good morning, Mr. President. Good morning. Breakfast will be right up, gentlemen. Well, Mr. Secretary, you look glum, too. With good reason, sir. I had a very early morning message. I am being called before the Senate Foreign Affairs Committee today. About the ambassador? Yes. To explain how we've come to this very dangerous situation with Italy. The problem is, what am I to say that won't make the situation worse? If I explain the facts, the Italian government may be even more offended than it is now. And the Senate is hardly going to be friendly. Mr. Secretary, when you walked in, I saw your face drop because I wasn't gloomy, too. I've been thinking hard all night. And I believe I know how we can end this situation. Uh, Between now and the time I go up to the Senate, sir? Uh, That's pretty quick. No, not that quickly. But you can explain that we're reopening negotiations with Italy. Reopening negotiations, sir? How? Along what lines? Well, first of all, we must admit that the lynching was a brutal crime and we must pay the families of those men an indemnity. Yes, but that won't satisfy the Italians. They want the murderers punished. Well, it's just possible. I've got the answer, Mr. Secretary. I uh, I want you to make the Italians this offer. I will ask Louisiana to make new efforts to find and punish the lynchers. But they can't, sir. It's a physical impossibility. I know, I know. They'd have to put a detective in every home in New Orleans and then it wouldn't work. But wait till you hear the second part of my offer. Yes? In exchange for our promise, I want Italy to take back all the mafia members, all the murderers, robbers, and blackmailers that we may find anywhere in this country. But they they won't agree to that, sir. That's impossible, too. Exactly my point, Mr. Secretary. If we face them with an impossible request, they'll see what an impossible problem they gave us. Then they may come around to accepting a perfectly reasonable settlement. We'll ask Congress to vote an indemnity to the families of these men who were lynched. And we'll take the necessary steps to see that there's no repetition of a crime of this kind. I'll be most happy to follow your plan, sir. But uh, I still have to answer the Senate this morning. I think all you'd better say is that you're reopening negotiations with the Italians. I wonder if that'll satisfy the senators. Then there's one more thing you can say. That as soon as I can, I'll tell them myself whether it's to be peace or war. What is it? Good news at last, sir. The Italian government has seen the wisdom of your proposal. 
They're willing to settle the dispute by negotiation. Oh, so trying to give the mafia back to them worked, didn't it? Eh? <laughs> it did indeed, sir. They will regard the matter as closed if Congress votes an indemnity to the families of the men who were lynched. I'm sure Congress will do it, Mr. Secretary. Well, this is a great relief. Well, only one thing remains, sir. Your message to both houses of Congress. That is why I'm here to tell you it's not war, but peace. Our negotiations with the Italian government have ended successfully, and our two great nations are again friends. However, however, this incident enables me to remind all peoples of the world that America's arms are always open to the poor, the oppressed, to the brave, the honest, the ambitious, who want freedom in a new land. But no foreign organization hostile to our traditions and dangerous to our civilization will be permitted to exist in the United States. We have labored to build a free nation, and we shall labor to keep it a free nation. Are you still here? It's rather late. Well, yes, I'm still here. How was the banquet, Mr. President? Oh, I enjoyed it. Do you mean the food was really good at a banquet? Well, I don't know about that. I was glad to see our ambassador on his way back to Italy. Oh. Well, Mr. President, you've had your international incident, and I've had one, Now, too. don't tell me Mrs. Vidal finally refused to withdraw her lawsuit. Well, today I had a long talk with the legal attaché of the French Embassy. We did settle. Madame Vidal and the White House won't have to face each other in a court of law. Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> Not quite so wonderful, Mr. President. I had to pay her in full. Oh, well, never mind, Miss Sarah. We can't win every time. <sighs> in any case, she's now happily installed in the French Embassy, and that is that. Oh, good. But, Miss Sarah, I didn't eat very much at the banquet, and I'm going down to the kitchen for something to eat. Wouldn't you like a little snack? Well, I, uh, I already had something, Mr. President. Mm, when? When I was so hungry a while ago, I went down to the kitchen and helped the assistant cook prepare a big dish of ham and apple fritters. Oh, that's wonderful. And I left an equally big dish in the oven for you. Oh, that's fine, Miss Sarah. You know, if you're not careful, I'll offer you the job of White House cook. <laughs> I was a little afraid of that. So today I employed a new cook, and she comes from Ohio. Ohio? Mm. Good night, Miss <laughs> Good President. night. Good night, Miss Sarah. <laughs> Yes, that's how it happened. We avoided an entirely unnecessary war with Italy and settled the matter in friendly style. And at the same time, we solved a very naughty servant problem. Oh, yes. There are servant problems in the White House, too. Now, have you guessed yet which president I was when these events took place? Well, the time was in 1891. And, uh... Benjamin Harrison lived in the White House then as Mr. President. I hope you'll come to see me again next week when I'll have another story for you about Mr. President. Good night.
Mr. Arnold appears as Mr. President by arrangement with Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, producers of Romance of Rosie Ridge, starring Van Johnson, Thomas Mitchell, and Janet Lee. Cornelius Otis Skinner as Susan B. Anthony in The Cavalcade of America. In a small town of the America of 1838, a girl just arrived home from an academy for young gentlewomen had returned to her father's household, presumably to fold her hands and wait for her husband. But that young gentlewoman was Susan B. Anthony. Susan, you've had your nose buried in that newspaper for an hour. I've been reading President Van Buren's message to Congress, Father. Didn't they teach you at that finishing school that young ladies are not supposed to stick their noses into politics? Lucretia Mott and Elizabeth Stanton do. They're fighting for women's rights. And they're perfect ladies. Women's rights? What rights? Susan, you'd better begin doing some work for your hope chest. That's my advice to you. Father, if all I'm expected to do is gather some things for a hope chest, why did I need an education? Why, why, so you'll be a credit to your husband, of course. A woman of attainments and adornment for some man's household. So that's it. I've been groomed to adorn somebody's household like... like a prize mare in a stable. Susan. Oh, Father, I, I shocked you so terribly, haven't I? I do apologize. But I feel so... so useless. I was wondering, Father, couldn't I find some employment? Employment? You're a woman, Susan. Women don't work. As long as I'm head of this family, you'll obey me. But, Father, there are women working... There are women in your factory. I saw them. You have no place in the factory. Yes, I have, Father. If other women can work, so can I. Oh, please, Father, it's worth a try. Women have rights, and they'll be recognized someday. All right. All right, go ahead. You'll soon forget these noble ideas, young lady. We'll see if you like to work after a few days at the looms. Then there'll be no more talk about women's rights from you. Never worked before, have you? No, I haven't. But I'm happy to work. It's what I wanted. You won't get what you want here or any place. What is there in life for us women? Shh. Peggy O'Hawk. Who's the old hawk? Sure, Stanton. Old Hawkeye. Who'd you think? You mean my... I mean our employer? Sure. He don't want us to talk when we're working. Better come to meeting tonight. Learn a few things. What kind of a meeting is it? It's for women's rights. Why all this secrecy? We gotta keep our jobs. But even so, it's wrong in having a meeting. It's against the law for women to hold meetings. But that's ridiculous. Sure it is. But don't forget, men make the laws. That's why we're having a meeting. We got to organize for our rights so we'll have something to say about things. I think I see now. Yeah. We don't only mean here. We mean outside. In our homes. Our kids. Schools. Things like that. You gonna come? Yes. I'll be there, all right? Yes, I'd... I'd like to attend your meeting very much. (laughs) 
Stanton, on behalf of our Working Girls Organization for Women's Rights, I want to thank you for coming here this evening and bringing us your inspiring message. Thank you, Madam Chairman and young women. Now, in closing, let us keep these resolutions firmly in our minds. We shall organize a movement to bring to the women of this country the full and equal rights as citizens they are now denied. Our primary step will be to secure for women the right to vote. Once this is accomplished, our nation will see the complete emancipation of women in every walk of life. Thank you, and good night. Well, girls, that's all for tonight. Meeting's adjourned. Mrs. Stanton? Mrs. Stanton? Yes, what is it? Mrs. Stanton, you probably don't remember me, but I heard you speak at our school. My name's Susan Anthony, and I... Oh, yes, I do remember you. You were the one who asked so many questions. But what are you doing here? I'm working in the factory. But you don't belong in a factory, Miss Anthony. Oh, yes, I do. Anywhere I can learn things. I want to do something for women's rights. You do? Do you very much? Yes, Mrs. Stanton. Miss Anthony, will you take my advice then? Yes, I will. Then give up your employment. Be a teacher. It's the one profession open to women. You can help our suffrage movement by teaching what it means to our youth. Will you do that? I'll do whatever I can, Mrs. Stanton. The, uh, the New York State Teachers' Convention is now in session. The uh, first question scheduled for debate is the question, uh, what can we do to increase the public's respect for the teaching profession? The, the chair is ready to recognize delegates who wish to speak to the question. Mr. Chairman. Mr. Chairman. Uh, Miss Anthony. I wish to speak to the question. <laughs> well, uh, Miss Anthony, our time being limited and uh, recognizing a delegate not versed in parliamentary procedure, that is... Mr. Uh, Chairman, I know enough about parliamentary procedure to know that you are violating every principle of it at this moment. I repeat, I wish to speak to the question. Well, uh, is there a second? I second the motion. Discussion. Mr. Chairman, I raise a point of order. No woman has ever entered into parliamentary discussion... I hold that precedent rules Miss Anthony out of order. Is it the gentleman's contention that I am not a qualified delegate to this convention? Not a delegate qualified to enter into debate. There's nothing in the rules of this convention disqualifying any delegate from debate. Mr. Chairman, is Miss Anthony to be ruled solely by the rules of this convention and not by moral and natural laws? There's nothing in the rules specifically prohibiting murder on this floor. It might be to the gentleman's interest if there were. The <laughs> gentleman, gentlemen, please. If there is no objection, the chair grants Miss Anthony the floor and limits her time for debate to one minute. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. One minute is ample for what I have to say. You ask why the teaching profession is not as highly thought of as, say, the profession of medicine or of law. I'll tell you. Women who are not considered bright enough to be doctors or lawyers 
are nevertheless considered bright enough to teach the nation's youth. If you want to improve your station in life, all you fine gentlemen, I suggest you join the women's suffrage movement. Well, Mrs. Stanton, I'm not a teacher anymore. I know. I read the papers. Oh, Susan, you shouldn't have mentioned suffrage. We must be greater in numbers before we'll have sufficient influence to amend the Constitution. Mrs. Stanton, it's high time someone did. I have a petition here for the legislature, and I'm going to have 10,000 names before it adjourns. But this is for woman's suffrage, Susan. We can never get signatures for this. I think we can, high and low. And I'm going to get the support of the biggest editor in this country, Horace Greeley. Well, well, ladies, what can I do for you? Mr. Greeley, years ago you were almost alone among editors in your support of women's rights. We wish to know why you are opposed today. Miss Anthony... I have always favored women's rights. I believe that economically, financially, and in the eyes of the court, woman should stand on an equal footing with man. But politically, no. But, Mr. Greeley, you must realize that without the ballot, woman has no power to improve her position in all the other respects. <laughs> Are you aware, Miss Anthony, that the ballot and the bullet go together? If you vote, are you also prepared to fight? Certainly, Mr. Greeley. Just as you fought in the late war, at the point of a goose quill. <laughs> <laughs> Miss Anthony, this is my final word. I stand on the fact that the best woman I know, my wife, does not want to vote. Uh, pardon me a moment, Mr. Greeley. Mrs. Curtis. Uh, yes, Miss Anthony. The petition, please. Mr. Greeley, I hold in my hand a petition signed by 300 women of Westchester County asking that the word male be stricken out of the Constitution. I'm not interested in a list of names, Miss Anthony. Perhaps you will be, Mr. Greeley, when I tell you the first name on the list is Mrs. Horace Greeley. And I tell you, there will be thousands more. Will you sign the petition? What? Help you undermine the sanctity of the home? No. Will you sign the petition? So you're Susan Anthony. Why, I heard you were the worst ever. But you're not at all. Yes, I'll sign it gladly, Miss Anthony. Will you sign the petition? Why don't you stay home where any decent woman belongs? I tell you, you won't get a single solitary name in this town. Will you sign the petition? Certainly not. The place for you is in jail. Will you sign the petition? Yes, I'll sign it. Will you sign the petition? Get out, you brazen hussy. I didn't expect the pleasure of seeing you on this train. Oh, good morning, Senator. I don't see how you stand this constant traveling about. 
As a junior senator, I made many tiresome journeys to see my constituents. Thank heaven I don't have to do that anymore. Senator, are you really so secure you don't have to find out what the people want? Tut, tut. You women will never comprehend the elemental in politics, Miss Anthony. People don't know what they want. Perhaps you should go back to elemental, Senator, and meet your constituents as you used to. What do you mean by that? I mean I've been meeting your people. I've been traveling all over America. And I've found they do know what they want. They want women's suffrage. And they're going to get it. You're very determined, aren't you, Miss Anthony? I have a plan, Senator. I'm going to do two things that women aren't supposed to do at all. I'm going into a barber shop. What? And I'm going to vote. Next. Who's next? Oh, excuse me, lady. You don't want to come in here. This is a barber shop. Oh, but I do. Isn't this where you register? Well, yeah, but well, well, right in the back room, ma'am. Thanks, sir. Uh, pardon me, but is this where I register to vote? Boy, here's a lady who wants to vote. <laughs> hey, you're Miss Anthony, aren't you? Yes, I'm Susan Anthony. This is my voting district. I'm afraid not, ma'am. Only men can vote. Is the Constitution a joke? Well, what do you mean, joke? Well, I have here copies of two amendments to the Constitution of the United States. Amendment 14 says that all persons born in the United States are citizens of the United States. Yes, I know all that, Miss Anthony, but you... And Amendment 15 says that the right of citizens of the United States to vote shall not be denied. Yes, but you can't... Does it say anything about male or female in those amendments? No, it doesn't, but I... Are women persons? Now, you know that ain't the point at all, Miss Anthony. Oh, but it is. It's just the point. But I can't register you, miss. You can't flaunt the Constitution. Well, I don't know what I should do about this. I know what you can do. You can register us. Well, may mean my neck and yours too, Miss Anthony, but here goes. Your name, address, and occupation. The case of the people of the United States versus Susan B. Anthony. It is charged that the defendant on or about the 5th day of November, 1872, at the city of Rochester, New York, in an election held in the 8th Ward for a representative in the Congress of the United States did then and there vote without having a legal right. Gentlemen of the jury, you've heard the evidence presented in this case. I will not expatiate on the character of the defendant. Her behavior has been a nationwide scandal for many years. This case has nothing to do with any constitutional issue. It's a question of fraudulent voting. I ask you to find the defendant guilty of this crime. Your Honor. Mr. Selden. May it please the court. As counsel for Miss Anthony, I strongly object to this proceeding. This is a criminal charge. Your Honor has no right to direct the jury's verdict. Clerk of the court will take the jury's verdict. Your Honor, I demand that the jury be questioned individually to get their opinion for the record. Denied. Clerk will record the verdict of guilty. Now, has the prisoner anything to say why sentence shall not be pronounced? Your Honor, I have many things to say. My natural rights as a human being 
My political rights as a citizen of this country, even my judicial rights as a prisoner at the bar, are all being violated. I repeat the question. Will the defendant explain to the court why sentence should not be pronounced? Certainly. You have denied me the fundamental privilege of citizenship. You have degraded me from the status of a citizen to that of a subject. The court cannot allow further time. Your Honor, I'm simply stating why sentence cannot be pronounced against me. Your denial of my right to a trial by a jury of my equals is an offense against the law. The court cannot allow the prisoner to go on. May it please, Your Honor, not one of those jurymen is my equal, but native or foreign-born, white or black, rich or poor, educated or ignorant, sober or drunk. Each and every man of them was not my equal, but my political superior. Is that all, Miss Anthony? That's all. And I ask not leniency, but a course that will do you far more harm. The full rigor of your self-constituted so-called law. So be it. The sentence of the court is that you pay a fine of $100 in the cost of prosecution. I'll never pay one penny of that fine. What is the alternative, Judge Hunt? The court cannot permit the defendant to make a martyr of herself by resisting the court's sentence. Then I repeat, I shall resist this injustice to the end of my days and persuade all women that resistance to tyranny is obedience to God. Susan B. Anthony did resist. And fortunately for her cause, her days were long. They were long enough, even for a hostile press that had once reviled her, to cry out against that same injustice. And as the long days rolled into the long years, she became, even to her enemies, a brave and heroic figure. There came a day when her secretary entered with a morning mail. Good morning, Miss Anthony. Here's your newspaper. Thank you. And listen to this. As we approach a new century the 20th century, a valiant fighter of the old is approaching her 80th year, and the whole nation takes this occasion to honor the spirit of Susan B. Anthony. Well, Miss Anthony, that's a great change from what the paper used to say about you. Why not? They think I've failed, and at 80, they no longer fear me. Well, I'm thinking of retiring soon. That should bring even more bouquets from the press. Retiring, Miss Anthony? Yes. But before I retire, I've got one more job to do. What is that? I have a letter here from Lady Aberdeen, the leader of the women's suffrage movement in England. If I can help the suffrage movement in England, it will help us here. But you know the influence of Queen Victoria in England, and she's violently against women's suffrage. That if Queen Victoria were to receive me at Buckingham Palace. <laughs> oh, Miss Anthony, you're the greatest politician of modern times. <laughs> Thank you. That does me more good than a dozen flowery editorials. Her Majesty the Queen will be pleased to receive an audience at Buckingham Palace. Her loyal subjects, the Lady Aberdeen, and most especially desires that Lady Aberdeen's guest, Miss Susan B. Anthony, will be able to accompany her. Mm-hmm. 
Don't be nervous, my dear. You'll find the Queen quite as easy to talk with as anyone, should I curse it. For Americans, it's optional. And I should say, there's the Chamberlain now. Her Majesty the Queen. Oh, it seems so very, very old. Not much older than you and I. It's as if she were carrying an enormous burden. And she is. She's beckoning to us now. Lady Aberdeen and Miss Anthony. Lady Aberdeen? Your Majesty. And Miss Anthony. Oh, how do you do? Thank you. We are pleased to welcome you, Miss Anthony. Your Majesty is most gracious. We have been interested to observe your work. For the political emancipation of women, Miss Anthony. It is an heroic work, but we must confess we do not in any sense embrace your view. But Your Majesty rules a great empire. Out of duty, not out of choice, Miss Anthony. Yes. When the Prince Consort was alive, we acceded to his every wish. We have never had cause to regret it. All women have not been so fortunate, Your Majesty. Age has probably made us both more tolerant, Miss Anthony. Yes. But even should yours be the right view, I do not believe that in our lifetime we shall ever see the political freedom of women. And if we don't, <laughs> Your Majesty, no one can live forever. And someone has said that a man is immortal as long as one idea lingers behind him when he's gone. And I can only hope that the idea I have fought for will be of everlasting good when I have gone. Susan B. Anthony did not live to see women go to the polls as full-fledged voters. But the right to vote was the priceless heritage she has left to the women of America. For her lifelong crusade in the name of complete freedom, Susan B. Anthony takes an honored place in the cavalcade of America. Ladies and gentlemen, the star of this week's DuPont Cavalcade, Cornelia Otis Skinner. Thank you. You've just heard the story of a woman who lived a life of sacrifice. She wanted to make the world a better place for human beings. Nothing was too great. No fight was too hard. The free spirit of Susan B. Anthony could not be conquered. It seems to me she has left us that spirit. And if she were among us, we would see her, we'd see Susan B. Anthony out front, as she was in her own time. And we would hear her, hear that moving cry of hers against whatever injustice is striking at life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. 
Susan B. Anthony was that kind of woman. Thank you. If you enjoyed that golden age of radio production, be sure to follow the Riley and Kimmy Show. We feature old-time radio shows from time to time. We have archived episodes available right now on our website at RileyandKimmy.com. Some of them have old-time radio episodes on them. Please tell your friends about the Riley and Kimmy Show. Help us grow. Our social media links are available on our website at RileyandKimmy.com. That's R-I-L-E-Y and Kimmy, K-I-M-M-Y, dot com. If you friend, follow, and like us, we will friend and follow you back. Also, be sure to check out our website, events page, and our social media pages for updates where the Riley and Kimmy show will be appearing next. And we're available for your pop culture event and also those that are animal-based, about pets and animals, too. We have a spinoff show called Animal Special. So be sure to tell your friends about us. It's the Riley and Kimmy Show, the nerd variety talk show with daily pop culture episodes. The Riley and Kimmy Show. Find archive podcasts of The Riley and Kimmy Show at RileyandKimmy.com. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.